Simply this, do not miss Jesus in the process of serving him. Okay? That is a direct word for for someone this morning. Please do not miss Jesus, his compassion, his love, his movement, his mercy in the process of serving him. Don't, because he has something for you. Like, he wants you to enjoy him in the process. It's the, it's the Mary Martha thing, right? Martha's serving, 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 but completely missing that Jesus is actually sitting in her brother's home to enjoy being with her. And so that's the word of the Lord for somebody this morning. Don't, don't miss Jesus in the middle of you serving him, okay? So that's, there you go. All right. Well, hey, this morning, uh, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks about Luke 9 and 10. If you've not read Luke 9 and 10, Luke 9 and 10, basically, it's this moment where Jesus takes his disciples and says, hey, I give you authority to not theoretically cast out demons and cure diseases, but realistically, Right. Like I, I, I know what. Listen, hear this. I know a lot of people who theoretically are Christians. They talk about the theory of Jesus. They can name the Greek of, of the scripture and have no idea who Jesus actually is. Like this morning, we talked about, you know, harvest led us through this idea of encountering Jesus. And I just wonder if that's foreign to us. Like, I wonder if it is. Like, are you around a bunch of people who claim to be Christians who don't really act like they know him at all? Like, their life doesn't look anything like what a Christian's life should probably look like? Like, when you talk to them, the words that come from their mouth don't actually sound like words that would come from Jesus' mouth? Like, they have a theoretical knowledge of Jesus, but no actual encounter-realistic understanding of who he is and of knowing him? Like... Let me just tell you quickly, what should a Christian's life look like? It's very simple. The fruit of being around them should cause you to love, to have joy, to have peace, to experience patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. So if, if you're around people who've encountered Jesus then that's what their lives will look like. And if you call yourself a Christian and have a, and say you have a realistic knowledge of Jesus, then that's the fruit that your life will produce. If your life is not producing that fruit, then I would encourage you to have what, I, what they would call a come to Jesus talk. Right? Don't you say you have those with people? I'm going to come to Jesus talk today with him. You know what he did, right? And Jesus wants you to have the, listen, he lets you say that as a, uh, as a ha-ha so that you'll do it with him like a ha-ha-ha. They're saying that, but they need to be doing that. They need to come to Jesus talk with me. Because the idea of our life is simple. And it's the context of everything in Scripture. Everything, everything in Scripture says this. Jesus is the model of what the followers of Jesus should look at and sound like. And so it makes complete sense that people don't like Jesus in America 
Because people who call themselves Christ followers look like, act like, and sound nothing like Him. You should say amen. And we should feel convicted in saying it, shouldn't we? The understanding of discipleship in Scripture is very clear. Jesus is the only model of human being that we should aspire to be like. Discipleship says disciples look like the ones that they're following. And so if I'm quote-unquote Craig, if I'm quote-unquote discipling you, like, I don't want you to look like me, but I want you to emulate me so that you can look like Christ. That's the idea of earthly discipleship. I'm going to do things that lead you to look like Jesus. Jesus is the only goal of discipleship. Discipleship, you don't know, simply means... It's like, a, um, it's like following someone to, to look like them. Jesus had 12 of them. One of them did a pretty poor job of looking like Jesus. I'm just saying, his name's Judas. He betrayed Jesus and killed him, right? Don't be that guy. But the idea for us is simple, that we are to look like Jesus. He is the model for us. So, so last week, Scott, looking at Luke 9 and 10, he, he said there is a theme. He called it a red thread. But it's, a, it's, this, it's this language that he uses. It's beautiful, right? But it's this theme from Genesis, which is the beginning of the Bible, to Revelation, which is yet to have happened, right? In, in its fullness, Jesus has not returned yet. From Genesis to Revelation, there is a theme in Scripture that says this. There are supernatural, listen, there are a theme throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, there are supernatural works that only God can do, but He does them through His people for the purpose of saving those who need Him. Does that make sense? There are supernatural works. We read them in, in Luke chapter 9 and 10. You, I'm going to give you authority to cast out demons and to cure all diseases not theoretically, but realistically. In Luke 10, it says, they came back and says, oh my gosh, oh, goody, 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 goody. even the demons submit to us. We can't believe it. And Jesus says, well, I believe it. I gave you my authority, silly people. Of course you're going to do that. There's no theoretical knowledge in following me. There's the realistic idea of being my disciple and doing what I do. So listen, Jesus is our model. He's the model of what we're aspiring to, and he is the model of what we will attain. He never calls us to do something he will not actually empower us to do. He calls us his disciples, which means we can grow into his image. Are you like Jesus fully today? No, you're growing. It's what we call the process of sanctification. A big word to me means we're in a process of maturing and growth. Like you remember how when you were 15 years old, you were more mature than you are. Hopefully today you're more mature as a 40, 50, 60 year old than you were when you're 15. The process of maturing and growth, that's discipleship, growing into his image. We grow into his image. We grow in time. We live our lives in growth into the calling, into the lifestyle of Jesus. Last week, Scott named John 14, 11 through 12. Jesus, Jesus speaking, who never lied, said, believe me. 
Because this can be hard to believe. Jesus only says, believe me, when it's something hard to believe. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. What are the works that they think he's talking about? All the crazy Jesus stuff that they watched him do. Legs growing, eyes being open, right? Food being multiplied, crazy miracles, supernatural stuff, right? It says, believe me that I'm in the Father, right? And believe on the evidence of the works themselves, very truly. He goes, and he goes, let me tell you something that's very true. I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works, the crazy Jesus stuff that I've been doing. They will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father, and all he's saying is, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to, it's not just you, one of me now. There's going to be billions of you, so the works are going to be multiplied. We do the things that Jesus did. The call on our life is great. The spiritual possibilities that define our calling in life are great. The Jesus, and hear this, the Jesus stuff we are capable of doing through Jesus are great and of biblical proportions. That should either... Freak you out and scare you, make you want to run away or excite you and say that is unbelievable. Are you being serious? That's not theoretical, but it's realistic. Jesus was real. He didn't lie. He meant it for his disciples. He is our model of what we are going after, right? There are supernatural works that only God can do, but he chooses his children to do it through so that they can reach those who need him. One scripture that I believe paints this picture of this calling very clearly of Jesus, and therefore, if it's his calling, it's our calling, is Luke chapter 4, 14 through 19. I'm just going to read it very quickly. I believe it's Jesus' calling, very clearly defined, and it says this. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. We're going to work back to verse 1 in a few minutes. But Luke chapter 4, verse 14, you can turn there. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favorable, favorable year of the Lord. He goes on to say, This is fulfilled. Today in your hearing, I am here. This is speaking about me, right? This is the calling of Jesus. And the calling of Jesus, then, we said, now becomes our calling. Listen, do not tune out because this is like Bible words. Sometimes we tune the Bible out because it seems boring, really, really practical, something in your own language. But I want you to hear me say, the most practical thing I can say to you this morning is that Jesus had a calling from God, and so do you. 
And the same calling that Jesus had is your calling. So don't miss the Bible calling that Jesus had because it belongs to His disciples today. We are to look like the one who disciples. We are to sound like the one who are to look like Him, sound like Him, and to act like Him. So there's biblical language that applied to Jesus and it applies to you. Don't tune it up to this boring Bible. In whatever field of work we are, we are in or life that we are living, we live out the calling, whether we are a, a banker or a stay-at-home mom, a social worker or a computer engineer or an athlete to a paraplegic, it does not matter. The calling is the same in the context of all of those settings. Our call is to the poor, our call is to the captive, our call is to the blind, and our call is to the oppressed. And I mean that, and Scripture means that, in a physical, spiritual, and an emotional sense. I, Jesus came, had a calling to, to the poor, right? Who were the physical poor, the spiritual poor, and the emotional poor. To the physical captive, the spiritual captive, and the emotional captive. To the physical blind, the spiritually blind, and the emotionally blind. And to the physically oppressed, the spiritually oppressed, and the emotionally oppressed. That's God's calling on Jesus, right? The life of Jesus. It's our calling. Jesus' call was to bring transformation in the lives of those who were in need. The call of Jesus was to bring transformation. If my child is in a hole and is dying, I, and she has a need... I have a call as a father to put my hand down and to set her free. Would you leave your children in a quicksand to die, or would you put your hand down as a calling as a father or a mother to release them? And God is giving this call to Jesus as his call for life, and he says, listen, There are these people everywhere that you go who are my children, are my creation, and my image is in them. Therefore, I want you to physically, emotionally, and spiritually set them free. Give them freedom. Give your life on their behalf. I have supernatural works that only I can do, but I want to do them through you for those who are in need. Transformation. God does the work of transformation, but he is looking for those he can do it through. Scripture says the eyes of the Lord look to and fro throughout the earth to find those whom he could strongly support. The eyes of the Lord never stop ranging and looking For those who don't have a theoretical understanding of Christianity, but have a realistic view. In this calling, we celebrate, right? This is really cool, or it's overwhelming, but it's pretty cool. There's this great dynamic calling. And so some of us, we get, some of us run from that because it's too much, if we're honest. Because of fear or or whatever it may be. And some of us, we like almost probably run into it too much. Oh my God, right now, woo, right? 
You know what I'm talking about? You know those people? Like, oh my gosh, you see? Let's try to do something that's burnt out, right? So what I want you to recognize is that 4, 4 through 9, 4, 14 through 19 happened in sequence after verses 1 through 13. Let's read those together. Luke chapter 4, look back to verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he had just been baptized, right? He just had this great experience. The voice of God had literally thundered from the heavenlies, saying, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Everybody heard it. Jesus had this great father-son moment. Thanks, God, thanks, Dad. Appreciate that. Love you too, right? It's a great ecstatic moment, a great moment. It's like a great salvation moment. It's great. This baptism experience. It's wonderful, right? It feels so good. And then the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks to Jesus now. Let's go into the desert for forty days and not eat. Anything, and we're gonna let the we're gonna let Satan, the enemy himself, come, and we're gonna let him tempt you. This is gonna be awesome, right? So let's read it together. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he's been baptized, and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, "If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread." And Jesus answered him, "It is written." Man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him. I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me and I will and and I will give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. Jesus answered him. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left them until a more opportune or till an opportune time. I mean, he was coming back. Now. There are lots and lots and lots of things to be said about this, but I just want to name it's a few things right here. What I want us to see in the context of the the verses we just read before is that before Jesus was released into ministry, he first experienced a season of preparation through testing. A preparation through testing. There was a season, this moment of God's movement, of God's work, right? In the midst of this temptation that he is facing from the enemy. And the three tests, and you can break these tests down in different ways, but there's three ways that I'm describing this morning is this. Because I believe they are all, they are all common to you. All these are common to us as human beings. The first test... The first temptation is the temptation of personal gratification. Verse 3, right? Stones to bread. Like, if you've ever fasted or gone on a diet or stopped eating the things that you were eating, 
Like, don't you, like, crave food like nothing before? Like, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about those cartoons I watched growing up as a kid, and you had these two guys stuck on a deserted island by themselves, and there's no food, and they're talking about that, and all of a sudden, one guy looks over at other guy. He doesn't see his friend. He sees a, he sees a cheeseburger. You know what I'm talking about? Right? He needs a cheeseburger in the moment. And all of a sudden, he like starts, his eyes start going crazy, and the guy's looking like, what's going on? Like looking behind him. And all of a sudden, and the whole cartoon becomes about the chase, about his buddy trying to get the buddy who's a hamburger, right? And you see this whole thing about, they're just like, oh my gosh. And that's what it's like. I mean, Jesus, listen, the cartoons, it describes humanity so well, and the cravings of our, of our hunger, isn't it? The hungers that we have, it's like, listen, I've, I've, there have been several times in my life I've, I've fasted for extended periods of time, and I, and I walk into kitchens, and I almost sin in the moment by thinking about all the food and the smells that I can smell. Jesus is fasting in, as listen, he is 100% man, 100% human, all the cravings and all the desires from food to, to sex over here as a man, right? They're all here in this, you put set these as food to sex, all of these temptations, they're common to Jesus. As a human being, and in this moment, right, there's the temptation that, that focuses on Jesus's longing to satisfy his need or his felt need and to gratify himself. Personal gratification, meeting his own needs. Because he feels like it, it feels good, it feels right. How many of us have sinned this week? Because it just, our, just felt right. Just, we, don't, we, just had, we had this longing. And so we sinned against God. This is this temptation that's common to personal gratification rather than waiting for God. Being obedient to Him. Second, the second temptation is power without preparation. Power without preparation. Verse 7, right? Says, he shows them all the kings of the world. says, I will give you all of these if you will bow down and worship me. We strive for power, we strive for authority, we strive for it, and we will cut corners whenever we can to get it. Don't you know that Jesus already knows that every kingdom he's looking at ultimately belongs to him? Like, he already knows that in time, that all of these things will be given to him, except Satan is offering it to him without any suffering, without, without any trial, Without any struggle. He's saying power without having to go through everything else. I'll just give it to you now. If you'll bow down and worship me. And Jesus says no way. It's written you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I follow Jesus. I follow God. I follow, I follow the will of the Father. So many of us, we want power without preparation. We want power without God leading us to. We just want to take it on our own, no matter what it looks like in your life. Cutting corners to get something, power and authority. You hurt people to get there because you don't want to go through the, the work of, of having to earn their, their love and earn their trust by, by struggle. You just want to demand it with authority. Third thing is... The temptation of testing God. Verse 11, verse 12, says, Jesus says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Do you, we all know that this is a direct, or like we know this is direct, all these, all three of these words of Jesus are straight, straight from Scripture. And this is taken from Exodus 17. Exodus 17, the Israelites previously have received water in the desert on their journey to the desert by Moses striking a rock and water flowing from it says the people worshiped God, right? They worshiped him as if he's God. He is God because, because he proved himself, right? God did this work. So they, they worship him. He is God. We love him. We love him. We, God's great. God is good. When he gives us what we want, Exodus 17, they're still thirsty. God hasn't released him to strike the stone. We will not believe God unless we see water flow. They test God. Oh, God has brought us out here to die. Oh, we're not going to believe God because he's not providing water for us. And so Moses in sin strikes the stone. Salt water comes out. He says, you've tested me. You've sinned against me. And so often in our lives, right, this type of request, we make these requests. We believe you're God, God, you're great, you're great, you're great, until difficulty arises. We're like, oh, where are you, God? If you were God, blank. Well, if you would do just do this, blank. And we live in this temptation, in this testing of God and what God is looking for in the hearts of human beings, saying, though you slay me, according to Job's words, uh, words of Job, though you slay me, still I will follow. Though I go through difficulty, though I go through trial, though I go through hardship, that does not define your goodness. You are good and you are God, even if you're not moving in my timing. Isn't what it boils down to so often? We get mad at God because he won't move when we think he should or when we pray and tell him he should. How many of us use prayer as manipulation to get God to do something? Well, God, if you loved me, you would do this. Oh, God, just move right now. Just move right now. Right now. Right now. Right? As if, you know what I'm getting at? To saying, Jesus, I trust you. I believe you. In your timing, through hell, come hell, or high water, no matter what happens, although I don't understand, I trust you. See, what we find in Jesus is, is this testing. Because des- doesn't testing, the nature of it, always prove that we're ready for something? Like, when I was 15, I started driving. And I drove and I drove and I drove and I, I learned and I took a test. And then when I, when I was 16, and then I was now released to drive, right? I, but I could not go to the next level unless I had taken the test and I had passed it and moved on. In classes, in schools, right, you have to take tests. You work, you work, you work, you take a test, and then you're released to the next level. And testing has it in mind, right? You're going to walk through this because it's preparation for the next thing that I have for you. Don't ever forget, the preparation of Jesus is always to his calling. And so the testing and our preparation is not just just on a whim for Jesus, because there's something great and supernatural that he wants to do through us on behalf of those who are in need. And so we find ourselves, right, with this wrestling and this struggle. You may ask the question, well, didn't God already know that Jesus was faithful? Of course, of course. But don't ever forget that he is our model. He is our model, right? Experiencing what we experience to show us how we respond. Do you recognize that? 
Jesus is our model so that we will know how to respond when we go through those things. He had to experience everything that we will experience so that he can become the model of what true humanity can look like empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'll say that in a more simple way. Okay, I'll go through it because I want... Listen, do you know your kids? Watch how I do this so that you will know how to do it. So you'll see how to respond. So you will see how to act. So I will jump over this. I'll jump to the diving board to show you how to do it. Jesus becomes our model to show us how true humanity, empowered by God's Spirit, can handle it. Do you know the Holy Spirit of the living God now dwells inside of you? The same Spirit that empowered Jesus and His humanity to do miracles now empowers you. Is that too much to take in? Maybe. But process it. Jesus' human experience here in Luke included testing through temptation. And the things that we then learn in the midst of this, number one, the purpose of the testing is simple. It reveals the nature of our heart and commitment to God. It reveals, listen, it reveals the nature of our heart and our commitment to God. Have you ever experienced that? A trial, a temptation, a struggle comes, and you either run away from God all angry and ticked off. Oh, God. Or I run to him. It reveals our maturity, doesn't it? It reveals our weakness. Number two, it reveals our weakness and keeps us aware of our need for Jesus. Listen, I'm a human being like you. And all the temptations and the struggles that you face as a human being, I experience. And I look at this and recognize when I'm going through difficulties in life, hardships, things that test my faith, in that moment, my, my, my go-to is, oh my gosh, look how frail and broken and in need I am as a human being. Jesus <laughs> Thank you for making me aware again and again and again and again of my need for you. I can't make it today without you, but I praise you that you're with me. Hallelujah. I go through trials. I go through temptations. I go through struggles. It reveals the nature of my heart and commitment to God, right? Either recognize my growth and maturity or a lot of times for me, my lack thereof. Or it shows me my weakness and makes me desperate for him and I turn to him. The truth we must all face, if we are called, listen, the truth we have to come to grips with, and we don't like this in the gospel message of America that says Jesus saves you to make you happy all day long and to make you cool. Listen, the great lie of youth group, hey, being Christian is cool. No, it's not. It's completely countercultural, and there's nothing cool about knowing Jesus in the world's eyes. But man, it's cool in the kingdom, but kingdom's not cool in the world. The truth we must all face, if we are called to do what Jesus did, in the same way that Jesus did at Luke 9 and 10, with His supernatural power coursing through us, I love the word coursing there, coursing, it's coursing through us, then we will face the same preparation Jesus faced. Before we can transform others as our calling, we must continually be transforming and growing into the image of Jesus ourselves. 
Only those who have been transformed can bring transformation. Only those who have passed the test of obedience and of brokenness and of need, right, and of faithfulness before God, only those are those who are completely capable and prepared to be used to do supernatural works of Jesus. It requires preparation. Therefore, we take the words of James, which none of us like. We like them in theory because they're biblical. We don't like them realistically when he says in James 1, chapter, uh, verse 2 through 4, Consider it pure joy. Listen, this is crazy talk. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let Perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. So, practically speaking, what are you really getting at, Steve? Simple. God has a calling on your life. It's supernatural. It's the same calling Jesus had. Woo! We do the things that Jesus did. Listen, vintage can, listen, hear this. Realistically speaking, we can do greater things than Jesus and the disciples did because there's a whole heck of a lot more of us. There were 13 of them, and there are about 100 of us sitting here. So by God, realistically, theologically speaking, we should do even greater and more things because there is more of us. Whether we can receive that or not, that's theologically true. And so if this is the case, then Jesus says, all right, I modeled for you preparation. It was difficult. Forty days. If Jesus is the perfect storyteller, we get up here. He would get up here and tell the story. I walked out into the desert and I was so hungry. guys. I mean, I saw this. I saw a stone every day. I walked by the stone. It was kind of shaped like a loaf of bread. And I could have done it right there on the spot. I could have, bam, bread. It started chowing down. I, mean, I could have turned water into wine. I was about to do it anyway. It started right here. It had been great. No one would have known, right? I could have done it. It had been fantastic. Bread and wine. Oh, it's awesome, right? Then I walked out there, and then here comes, here comes the devil. And you know what? He was my companion the entire time I was out here. It was awful. I went through this temptation testing. It was difficult. You know, I really want to turn that into bread. I would have loved to have not been crucified. I would have loved to have not had the snot beat out of me. Literally, my guts ripped out of me. That would have been awesome not to go through that. I don't want to have the power right then. I was going to get it anyway. Why couldn't he just give it to me? He would have asked that as a teaching moment. He said, but you know the answer, don't you? Because I had to be the model for you of what preparation looked like. Because, listen, we can't trust humanity who's not prepared with the power that God wants to give. And he'd look at me and say, hey, Steve, Anna Catherine's 12 years old. You're not going to give her your car and tell her to drive it 100 miles per hour in a race today. 
You wouldn't do that. You're first going to prepare her. She can one day. She's going to be awesome, a great driver, better than all of y'all, right? No, she's going to be a great driver someday, but she's not prepared. You have to prepare her. I love her too much to not prepare her. And so trials come. Temptations come. Are you telling me God tempts me? No, I'm saying that God allows the enemy to come and to stir and to move. Is it difficult to hear? Yes. He allows brokenness. He allows hardship. He allows these things. And we have to wrestle. Do we believe he's a good God in the midst of it? Do we try to circumvent the work of God more quickly so I can get past it? Or do I let God have his way and trust him and not Test him in my desert experience, because here's the deal. Every every movement of God through us, God will prepare us. Satan waited for a more opportune time. Trials came again to Jesus. Temptations came again to Jesus. Trials and temptations of many kinds. They are part of our life. We can either cry and say, God's not real. We can make too much of the enemy. Look how strong the enemy is and fear him. Or we just recognize that's part of the preparation. Did did God kill my mom when I was 23 years old to make better Christian? No, but he sure used it. He used that struggle, that hardship of my life. He used that moment to grow me. People said literally afterwards, you're different. You're different. I'm like, By God's grace, I am. Because of his work. God used it in preparation. Listen, I know this is difficult. You're like, this brings up lots of questions. But we need to work through these. Because God wants to course through us with supernatural power. He will use everything in your life as a moment of preparation. So when James says, consider it pure joy... Brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of every single kind. How do we respond in the temptation of that moment? According to the temptations that Jesus faced, we test God. Do we want power without preparation? We don't want to go through that. We try to gratify ourselves with sinful things that are opposed to God's will. A lot of us do. How do we respond? The good news, and then we're done. Harvest, you can come. Here, else is coming with you. The good news for us. Don't check out. The good news. Jesus saved you with a calling that Jesus had. I've saved you so that my power can course through you. But I have to do a work of maturing and of preparation in you. And I'm going to use everything and anything. And so when you go through your difficulty, I mean, listen, 90%, listen, this week, I was telling Randall, she's going to test this. I'm like, it is so hard to talk about doing things for Jesus when I know people are barely surviving. Hear me say that. It is difficult for me. My pastor hat comes on like, God, it's hard to tell people that they are world changers when they're barely surviving. And so there's great compassion and tenderness from the Father in these moments of hardship 
and of difficulty and of temptation and trials. He has experienced everything that you experience. He understands it in his in the flesh of Jesus. He felt the pain. He felt the weight. He felt the hardship. He understands, right? He says when he says, I get it, he means it. So there's compassion in the moment. He says, but in this moment, I'm praying for you that you can look at it with and consider it pure joy because you know as you go through it, you are being strengthened and matured and grown because once you get through this, what I have for you is of biblical proportions. And we have to then stop navel-gazing in the midst of our trial and say, woe is me, and tell the story about how miserable your life is, and every person you're around has to know how difficult it is. You know what I'm getting at, right? Because you've been around those people, and you say, Lift up your eyes unto the hills from which forth your salvation comes. His name is Jesus. Oh, He's so good and He's with you. And listen, I know it's hard. I'm not trying to get you beyond it. But I want you to know it's good and it's difficult and it's hard. And I'm with you. I'm praying for you. But it is good. And He's growing you. Father, I pray this morning that you would open up our ears and our eyes this morning. Jesus, I need all of you to stand as I'm praying. All of you stand. Jesus, we all stand here this morning in some level of need and of desperation for you. Because, God, we cannot do anything of biblical proportions. We cannot heal the sick and raise the dead and God and cast out demons. Lord, unless our hearts and our lives have been prepared and God, trials and temptations and struggles, they are so hard for us to handle well. Father, we just confess, God, it is more easy to close ourselves in. But, Father, this morning I'm crying out for healing. I'm crying out for restoration. I'm crying out for deliverance in Jesus' name. God, those who come this morning, Jesus, and they have desperate need, Lord, they come this morning, and God, they are... They are spiritually and physically and emotionally poor. They are physically, spiritually, and emotionally captive, blind, and oppressed. God, only Jesus can set them free. Lift up our eyes, Jesus, to see you. Because when we see you, all things become possible. And Father, this morning I pray that you would stir us to the point of discomfort this morning, that we would be compelled to worship, compelled to pray, compelled to ask for help, Jesus. Heal us. Restore us. Convict us this morning in Jesus' name. This morning, for those of you who are...